Hey Warriors, welcome back to another episode of Warrior Within. Hope you had a great week. Mine wasn't too bad. Um, let's see. Well, first thing is that the pastor I've been helping, he, he and I have been talking and he's been talking about what he wants to do with the church. And so things are going to be changing a little bit, which is going to free up my Sunday mornings a bit more. So I've been debating two things. One, I can bring back the podcast and do it on Sunday mornings or two, I could start trying to work on sermons for the church, for my church. And I'm going to be praying about it. And what I would like to do is do actual recordings of me preaching. And I know it's a little bit different than just doing a podcast. Cause at least with the podcast, you know, it's more of, I don't know. It's kind of intimate because I don't have to worry about how I stand, where I'm working, you know, how I'm moving, whatever it may be. I could just talk. So it's not that I've never preached in front of people before. It's just a little different when you're recording yourself versus just talking. So that is something that you guys could pray for me. You know, I'd be pretty excited about doing this and I have everything I kind of need. Just got to make sure I understand how to do it correctly and make sure it comes out right. Um, it's a little bit more work now because you have to think about how you look on the, on the camera and how it is presented, how it's recorded, but this is something to pray about. So uh, today's episode is going to be about fake churches. Now, I'm not talking about actual churches that I'm going to like, be pointing out as fake churches. That's not the point of this. Today is talking about us and what you've seen in, in your life. And like a lot of us have been on earth quite a bit enough to know that we've been in different churches. Maybe some of you have never been away from the church you've been a part of. And some of us have stories and, and have battles and have gone through a lot of stuff throughout their life that have has pulled them away from God at one point or have gone through other things that have pulled them straight to God more. But each one of us have our different stories and our different experiences and challenges and battles and and a lot of it has come down to how does the church handle people it's a very interesting concept to spend time to to just meander on to meditate on to really truly think about but the problem that i've seen throughout my years and i've been through maybe 12 15 churches and not not as like a member but just i've i've been experienced with because you know i moved from new york to new jersey new jersey to colorado and, and each each place that we went to you know was a different church you know i do miss the church that i had in new york i really have a lot of good memory memories from them and the and the people that we connected with the, the families that we connected with but, you know, God has a purpose for each and every one of us, and, and he has to take us where those purposes go. Even though sometimes it may feel like it just doesn't make sense, or it's just like, oh, Lord, I know I would never move here. I never want to be here. I don't want to leave the church I was at. But you see, the thing is, the idea of the church was never to actually keep people in the church. The idea of church was to get you to be trained to go out. So why do we have a lot of fake churches? 
You see, I could walk around and I could point out all the historical reasonings or the fact that we come from the Catholic line and there's a lot of that influence from the Roman Empire um, church changing the concept so that leaders were the only ones in your scripture and you, you were bound to that town because, you know, traveling to somewhere else wasn't really like a normal thing back then. But see, the thing is, if we go back to early church, basically the style back then, the idea was to send out people to other countries and other towns and to travel where they were expected to be because God had a plan for them there. Paul being a great example of so-called missionary, as we point out. See, the thing is, I think we've also misinterpreted the concept of missionary work. You see, I remember growing up and the idea of missionaries was just you going to another country. Like the United States was supposed to be the headquarters of Christianity, the, the, the home of Christianity. And as I grew up, I realized, <laughs> I realized how much of that thinking process was a lie for myself and for many other Christian young people who were more afraid of joining ministry because they didn't want to be sent to Africa or sent to Russia or sent to some place that they would never want to live in. But you see, that is a lie. It's a fake teaching. And see, the thing is, I started realizing as I grew up that we need missionaries here in the United States more. We have fallen away from the ideal understanding of church because we have been corrupted after all these years with the culture. And we've seen in the past what happens when the culture starts influencing your young people and starts influencing your church. But then we also see what happens when you allow fear into the church. And I think we have a mix of both. You see, one of the things that I've been learning about fake churches is that a lot of times fake churches lead into hypocrisy. They lead into being prideful. <coughs> we do have churches that have become what we would call celebrity churches. And so therefore, the appearance of church is very vital and it's a very stationary importance to what church should quote unquote look like. But in reality, if you were to take a step back, what are we supposed to be? Because if you go to first John four and you go all the way down to the bottom verse starting verse 20, it says, if anyone says I love God and yet hates his brother and sister, he is a liar for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he ha has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Now I want to clarify that this is talking about believers for one. Okay. And if you go up to verse 15, it says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. The one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. And this love is made complete with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he, as he is, so also are we in this world. 
there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. See, the image and understanding of what it means to be a, a loving church. Church should not fear. And you remember one of the things I believe the church has today, a lot of churches have today, is fear. And the other one is cultural influence. Now, we can sit there and point out, well, that's because it's a liberal church, and that's because that's a more conservative church. But that's not the point on this whole thing. I've been in very conservative churches before, and I've been in very liberal churches before. And they both have both issues. And they also even have a sub-under-other issue that's underlining why we have so many people that are kicked out of churches versus brought into churches to help them repent and help them find redemption, help them to find grace, help them to be restored to Christ. Because if we were to go to Acts 2.42, which is one of the verses for even my church, it states, they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the process to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. You see, first part says they devoted to teaching. It also says they fellowshiped together, which is coming together. <coughs> Some people think the breaking of bread is actually serving and then prayer. So the thing is, you guys got to understand the church unity is this image right there. And then you get to see the honest that they get to see of the Lord working in the people of the church or the people, the fellowship of people. But then it says, now the believers were together and held all things in common. Now, the common thing is stuff that we have talked about. There is the common understanding of scripture, the understanding that, you know, sin separates us from God. There's the understanding that Jesus is the son of God and that he died on the cross and that he uh, rose again three days later. The commonality that we are supposed to act a certain way towards people, whether it's towards our brothers, and sisters in Christ or to the non-believer, the culture. There's plenty of things that teach us and tell us what we're supposed to be doing, right? But every day they devoted themselves to meeting together. Now, today's society, we can't really do that all the time because people do have 40 hour plus jobs or they have kids activities, stuff like that. Now, back then they may not have had everything like that, but there's still ways to have a daily connection. Is there not? text messaging, calling each other. Maybe we make time, not every day, but once a week where we come together in prayer. Or you just send a letter 
or you just text group everybody and then there's like apps like discord which allows you to any point ask questions and people will respond to you whenever they can yes it's a little bit throwing if you want to join the discord you can join the group not the page but the group that i have for the facebook group and then there you can find the link to the discord which then you can join the discord which then allows you to have a connection to other guys so the idea is that that connection that time of meeting together was vital and the reason was accountability connection networking constant reminder of what we're supposed to be as believers but what it does not say is kick them out when they fail reject them when they struggle they're a leader and they messed up kick them out and tell them they can never be a pastor again because they sucked at it because they made this mistake you see this is where i start seeing fakeness start becoming more real there is this battle between appearance versus reality and versus obedience you and i struggle in our walks and i have shared with you that i've had struggles with my walk you've shared with me that you had struggles with your walk some of you have shared testimonies and stories of your past and how god has redeemed you and yet if churches find out about anything you are marked for life Where did we go wrong in teaching members that a good Christian is someone who's never made mistakes? I still remember when I was in this one church, how people treated people that made mistakes. And as I got older, and even back then, I was angry back then, but as I got older, how sad it was to watch people mistreat people. When people make mistakes, we're not supposed to shove it in their faces and tell them how lucky I am that none of my kids made the mistake that your kid made. We're not supposed to be running around and reminding them how terrible their kid is and watch them as they sink into a hole and leave the church because you got rid of the problem. It shouldn't be that we accept certain people because they're more willing to abide by what we want as the church versus what God has asked the church to do. Where you get kicked out because you're trying to listen to God while they're trying to listen to their agenda. It should not be where the church kicks a leader out because of issues between him and his wife, even though things got right, you kick him out. Now, what I'm also saying in, in reverse though, is there should be counseling involved. There should be some accountability. And that does not mean that there's not going to be consequences for actions. And I'm also not suggesting that men who have fallen into adultery 
as pastors should be just given back their leadership. I want to be clear. There needs to be true repentance and change in people's hearts and minds. There needs to be a format of, I understand what I did was wrong. And I want to repent and I need the church's care and support as I go through the process of healing. But it does not mean the church should now fire them and remove them completely from their, like, from being paid. No, what it should be is the church gets behind that pastor and encourages them to get right. And if they feel that they need to step down because that is what the Lord has asked them to do, then they do that and the church gets behind that and they may have to hire someone else. But if that pastor is able to get back on track and renew the, the right spirit within me, David didn't lose his job as king, but he did gain a consequence for what he did. I'm not saying that pastors are anointed, but you need to show some more grace. Need to allow there to be redemption and repentance and change and hope. Because I've seen too many churches clean out the guck by removing things that ruin their appearance. You see, scripture is not talking about cleaning house and sense of making sure that it's always pure all the time because pride and gossip is a huge thing in the church no matter how clean the church may look but it is talking about weeds it does teach about divisive people it does talk about leaders who have their own agendas and desires to be what they want versus what the church should be as a whole and it does say, do not be tolerant of sin, because we understand Paul points out the, that there's two people in the church sinning and you guys are praising about it. No, you need to be confronting about it. See, the thing is, I think we have become more zealous about appearing godly than helping people be restored back to godliness. First John, um, starting at verse eight states, uh, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the message we have heard from him declared you God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. We walk in light as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. You see, I, I kind of flip that around, but you got to understand there is a way to repent if we choose to see the thing is i think there's a difference between people who are staying in sin and we confront them and they still stay in sin and they still walk the walk this walk of the of the culture of the world 
then we need to remove those people from leadership positions. We need to remove them, maybe even cut them from the church if they still don't repent and they still fall into sin over and over and over again. Because there is rules about kicking people out, but it's with the, I guess you could say it's with the plan or the goal to see redemption. So if they do come back and they are changed back to following the way of the Lord, just to bring them back in. It's funny how easy we're willing to do that with family or with our children or with people we love, but not in the church towards members or leaders. It also doesn't mean that the leader fails that we take him and put him back into leadership. No, it doesn't mean that either. But they should be back into fellowship with the with the church. You see, I think we have twisted something. We've broken something. There's too many people that I've been running to running into throughout all these decades who don't go to church. Because either one, they're willing to step up for the truth. It got kicked out because it was going to cause problems that they didn't want to deal with. Or two, there was failure and problems and struggles. And instead of helping them, they kicked them out. So that way they wouldn't look bad. It wouldn't have to deal with the problems. You see, this is where I see fear. This is where I see fear coming in. And we'll talk about this in the second half of the episode. Be right after. Hello and welcome back to the second half of the episode. And I was just mentioning how this is where we see fear. Fear. Fear is the one thing I do see very heavily in churches. It depends how you look at it. One, it could be the fear of allowing the so-called enemy into the church. Well, guess what? The enemy is already in the church because we, even though we are saved, we still have that flesh problem. So the enemy is always going to find a way in. Now we are supposed to be an alert. We're supposed to be on our watchtower. We're supposed to be watching out for people. And we're supposed to help people by staying accountable. We're supposed to be praying because you remember one of the things in Acts 2.42 is prayer. And if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, especially Armor of God, prayer is the beginning of the armor. It should be the one thing we go to first because it puts us in the presence of the Lord. It allows us to be able to spend time with God. And when we're doing that... That changes our mindset, our heart, how we see things in front of us. It allows us to stop looking at the world with just what the world is throwing at us, but we can see God through it. So where should a church be? A church should be in prayer. One of the most beautiful things that I like hearing is when I hear a pastor say, I actually have people that are coming to church early enough and praying over the church. They come early enough to spend time in prayer for the church, for members, for things that they know, and they pray. 
that right there is what the church should be doing as a whole. Not just a few members, but as a whole. Because the church is not the building. The church is the people that are part of your church. And this also means that you're praying for Bob Jones, who has become a alcoholic in his family because he lost his job in 2020. Prayers for that girl who was brought up in a good solid family, but now lives with her boyfriend. It's for the guy who is struggling with his sexuality and is confused. It's for the guy who thinks that he is walking with the Lord and he lets everyone know it because he lives in hypocrisy of pride. Hey, look at me. Look how spiritual I am. You see, there is supposed to be prayer all the time because the enemy is going to be attacking your church all the time. And it's always going to be battles with people who are weak or have put their defenses down or have kind of taken their eye off God so much that they don't see the blindside semi truck coming at them. That's who the enemy is going to go for. This is why prayer is important. And fear comes in when instead of helping people grow and getting on track and walking with the Lord, we keep people out because we don't want it to stain the look of the church. Wear that suit and tie and look clean cut. And our family has to look clean cut. And like my kids don't go to any raunchy movies. My kids don't go to bad stores. My kids, you know, follow the rules. They're obedient. And that is the appearance when in reality, we know that those kids probably have done bad things. We know that those parents have probably made bad decisions. We also know that those parents struggled themselves. So no one is perfect, but it does not mean you have the right to be bad. Another clarity does not mean that you could do whatever you want. There is a line that we need to always make sure we keep accountable. But first we're going to read Galatians 6 verses 1 through 10. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual restored such a person with a gentle spirit. Clarity on spiritual does not mean that you basically are supposedly perfect. Spiritual just means someone who is more mature in their walk, in their faith, and they notice that so-and-so is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right? Okay. You go and you reach out to them with a gentle spirit. So that does not mean, and I think I probably used this verses not too long ago, that does not mean putting them as spectacle in front of everybody because they made it public. So therefore you need to be public by your shaming. If you have an issue, you go to them one-on-one say, Hey, you know, this is what the scripture says. A gentle spirit is gentle. 
watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. So you don't put yourself in a position. So if you know that you're struggling with the idea of drinking, you don't go and try to help someone that you see struggling and drinking by going to the bar with them when you know that you could be just as susceptible to that influence. But, you know, also someone struggling looking at, you know, showgirls going to places they shouldn't be going and you struggle with it. You should not be going there to try to get them out. No, you take them. You, what the best thing to do is take somebody to a coffee shop, take them to the church in a quiet room and talk to them one-on-one and be honest with them, reach out to them. The worst thing to do to confront somebody is to confront them publicly because that is the last straw. You're not supposed to confront people publicly and expect them to change instantly. You go to one-on-one, you work with them one-on-one, you pray with them. You, or if they don't want to hear it, they think you're wrong, then you pray for them. And you let a leader know, hey, you saw so-and-so, you, you know that it looks like they're struggling and they're having a hard time. Now the leadership is involved and they can pray about it and they can work to see how they can help that person. There's, there's a way to be able to be helpful in seeing people grow. But what I see a lot is that this person is an alcoholic now. Let's figure out a way to get rid of them. Because we can't have that in the church. You know, what people keep forgetting is that people have struggles. Do you know why something happened that triggered him to be that way? If you don't, find out. Not for gossip's sake, so that you can pray and you can help them. If you can. If you don't know what to do and you feel like this is out of your out of your like capability, then you go reach out to a pastor or some other leader in your church that you believe can be more of a help. But the thing is, if you're focusing on redemption and grace and peace and seeing them change, seeing them grow then the desire would not be how do we get him out of here so that we don't embarrass ourselves. People struggle. People come to the church for help. And the sad part is in the last few decades, church is the last place that people seek out help. And if you don't believe me, pay attention to how stories are being written on TV shows and movies and even video games. They treat the church as if they're a bunch of judgmental hate mongers don't care about people all they care about is their appearance and what they look like if there are stories currently being written that way there must be something that is being seen by people towards the church and the fact that the that even <clears throat> People will prefer going to pagan religions like Wicca or Norse mythology groups or anything that's fantasy or outside of the church. Ask yourself, why? Why does it seem like people would rather go to those groups? Church. Something's going on in the church. Something's going on that people are seeing that we're just ignoring. Uh, it's, it's the only thing I can think of. We're ignoring it. We're not caring about it. 
because the thing is, if we are doing what we're supposed to be doing, people should not be looking at the church as more of a, like, don't go to the church, go to this group. And two things that come to mind based on conversations I've had is, <clears throat> do we answer new people's questions? And I don't mean, hey, just go read the Bible or just pray on it. No. Do we answer their questions? Because now we're going into people that either are new Christian or people who are curious about the church. I have a feeling that a lot of people would say, I don't really answer questions, which then begs the other question. How well do you know your scriptures? Well, I don't really spend that much. Ah, you see, there's two things that I've been noticing a lot of a lack of understanding of scripture and the lack of being willing to help people when they're in trouble. And it doesn't have to be a physical trouble. It could be just struggling in their walk in life. We're more afraid to deal with people who are struggling. It's easier when it's a Christian who's just struggling and you can kind of give them encouragement versus someone who either is unsaved or someone who is a Christian who's seriously struggling. And we'd rather not deal with it because it might affect me is always the excuse. Yes, it could affect you, but don't put yourself in a situation that could affect you. You can help someone without being placed into a position <clears throat> that's going to cause you to stumble. Which is like I said, someone's struggling with pornography and they keep going to showgirl places. Don't go to the showgirl places to deal with them. You take them somewhere neutral that allows you to have one-on-one -on -one conversations so he's not distracted or she's not distracted. You're not distracted. You understand? Like there's ways to be able to work with people without feeling like you're putting yourself in a stumbling block. And per being personal is way more better than doing online. I will tell you that 100%. So as we look at the scriptures again, we understand it says, verse six, let the one who is taught, oh, actually, let me continue because I didn't finish. Watching out for yourself so you don't get tempted. Carry one another's burdens. It says to carry one, one another's burdens. It does not say kick them out. It does not say throw them out the church. It says to carry one another's burdens. Now, this is more towards brothers and sisters in Christ versus non-believer understand this we need to stop kicking people out just because we are afraid it might be a stain in our church there will be a time where you may have to kick someone but you will know if you tried to help them get back on track okay or if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing he deceives himself let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. So one of the things, remember I said in the beginning, we, we have a lot of people who love to compare how great my family is compared to yours. That's not right. That's actually a sin. That is wrong. And it's a stain. And that stain not only sticks to the person you said it to, but anybody else who heard you against you. Think about that. 
Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the house of faith. So we are supposed to chase after what is good. Reap what is good. Sow what is good. Don't quit on doing that because it seems like nothing is working. <clears throat> We're in a corrupt world. We're in a corrupt culture. So the idea balance or foundational of the world is not to do good as God attended it to be. It's been corrupted. So doing good is going to look like you never like, you know, the statement, good guys never get the girl. That's how it is kind of in reality. A lot of times when we do good stuff, doesn't mean we're going to reap good stuff from the world. Your good deeds and you following what God has asked you to do, being obedient, trusting in who God is and honoring his name could reach someone to go, hmm, there's something about this God that this person is representing that I want. And suddenly they're asking you questions. Suddenly now they're showing up to your church or to a Bible study or whatever it may be, or they may have bought a Bible and they say, hey, what's a good book to start reading? And now you have an opportunity and now they're asking you to pray for them. Now, suddenly they're asking you, Hey, how can I know Jesus is my savior? And now you're teaching them who Jesus is and what he did for them. And now they're accepting Christ. And now they're a new Christian. Now it's your job to disciple. Oh, well, I don't know my scriptures very well. Well, guess what? Start learning, spend time in it, grow. Well, I'm not a very good teacher. That's not the point. Ye, our job is to disciple other believers. That's why, once again, one of the other problems I see is, well, you know, so-and-so got saved, so I'm going to bring him to my pastor and let them deal with it. No, you should be saying, okay, let me see if I can find books and we can maybe do a Bible study together. Hey, let's meet every Monday and pray together. Hey, let you know, let's just keep conversation going so we can see you know, as you grow, if you have questions, I'll try to answer them. And then where do you get the answers? One, to the pastor. Two, do your own studies. Three, other believers that may, may have some knowledge and something that you can use to learn to help you with this new believer. You see, the job of the leadership is to train you to be trained so that you could train someone else. But also means that you have to do some work, spend time in prayer, Study the scriptures, know the scriptures. You see, the thing is, I feel that we've made too many people who think they are Christians because they look and appear to be good people of the church and we've created fake churches. In reality, we've kept the problems, so-called problems outside of the church and make sure all we have is a bunch of good people in the church. Hey, look at, we're an amazing church. And vice versa, the liberal church has taken the idea of accepting everybody, wherever they may be, but not confronting the problems that they're in. So not talking about sin. 
uh, saying, hey, the way you're living is not biblical, not godly. It's not what God wants. No, instead, they're like, no, y'all, you just come to where you're at and feel the space, feel the spirit in the room and just, just, just love. You see, both sides have taken both sides very extreme to the point where now we have liberal Christians who are progressive Christians who are into new age and who are into all the stuff I talked about, I think last week or the week before. <clears throat> and we have lost ourselves in this like new world age Christianity that is not biblical by any means because it's all about the feel goodness and the feel the spear and feel the presence of God and not actually teaching about the scriptures or obeying God or doing what we're supposed to be doing. Where the other side has completely legalized themselves into the super conservatives who only want people who <clears throat> are just like them. Who aren't open for anybody to come in to, to learn about Jesus, let alone repent from their sins. You know, if you, oh, you have too many tattoos and we're not big on the tattoo stuff, so you, you can't be part of our church. Oh, well, you know, you were a drunkard, so you can never be a leader. Oh, well, you were into drugs. Well, forget you preaching. You know, you, you, you've already failed and now you're just going to have to be some, just, you could maybe be a member, you know, if you start falling, you know, into back into these addictions, then, Hey, you know, we can't have that in our church. See, we're supposed to be a place that is welcoming, but also a place where it's talking about sin, talking about what Jesus did and he could save you. He could change your life, but you need to repent. You need to change. You need to turn from the wicked ways that you have followed and follow him. And we can help you. We can encourage you. We can pray with you. We can, we could be there for you. That's what the church is supposed to be. I think we've forgotten that. Because we have fallen to the trap, like Titus 1, 10 through 16, for there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party it is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true for this reason. Rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and, and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for a good work. You see, the problem is that some people who call themselves godly actually fit a lot of this problem. Because in their minds, they think that they are good and they're following what God has asked them to do. But they have become mighty in their own pride. They have become... People who share these so-called truths that aren't truths. 
And if they are, they're usually partially true, but would they have like these rules that set them apart from everybody? The high and mighty elitist Christian is something we have to be really careful we don't become. I've been there. I know what it's like to feel that way. But it's in the dark holes, in the in the fallen state of feeling like nothing, that has helped me understand to clarify what that means. And I have met many Christians who have learned that themselves. We are to be loving. We are to be there for people. But we have to remind them also that you're not supposed to be disobedient, detestable. We're not supposed to be unbelieving. We're not supposed to be allowing sin in our life. We're supposed to allow God to show us, Hey, this sin, this log or splinter in your eye is causing you to sin. And in scripture it does say you cut that off. Now God doesn't mean literally cut off your eyeball because you're looking at pornography, but it means remove that problem. That is a problem in your life. It's going to ruin you and destroy you. Remove it from your life. You have a drug addiction or alcohol addiction issue. Get your life on track. Ask for help. And the best people to ask help from are people who have been through it because they can help you find the help you need. But don't be afraid to ask for help. And the sad part is, guys... How many of you guys go to churches? If someone were to ask for help, would the church get behind them? Or would they brush them off or tell them, hey, we can't help you? Because we can't have that in our church anywhere. Now, I don't mean allowing people free will to run around doing whatever they want inside your church. I'm talking about the compassion and care that we're supposed to provide people we're struggling. So I'm not saying if an alcoholic comes into your church screaming and raving and he's drunk as can be, that you just allow him to sit down in your church service or be a part of your events and activities. No, you, but you gently and lovingly remove them from the church and you try to calm their hearts down. You make sure they don't get in their car and you get the you know family members that can come help them. You know, if, if it gets violent, you know, you call the cops like anybody else in this anybody else would do, and you work with them. You know, you don't have to press charges, but you let the cops know, hey, we want to work with him. We don't want him to feel neglected. There's a lot of people that are hurt today. A lot of people. A lot of them have been broken by churches. A lot of them have been broken by society. A lot of them have been broken because of choices other people made towards them. And they use a lot of things to hide and mask their hurt. And I could tell you this, there's a lot of people in churches who are wearing masks who are hurting. And if you want to start seeing change in your church, start with prayer. In fact, the challenge for you guys, find a way to get to church early, get your family up a little bit early if you have to, reach out to other guys who you believe would want to do this, and pray before the service for your church.
meet during the week. If you have to pray for your church, pray for the men in your church, pray for the families in your church, do what you need to do, but bring prayer in your church. Stop being a fake church, bring in prayer, see the change start happening. Maybe small at first, maybe big, but peace will come and you'll start seeing a change happen. So this challenge this week, or even for this month, try to find time to pray for your church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I ask you bless it as you help the men that are listening and the women that are listening and help them with their churches. Help them to find strength to pray for their churches. Help them to find hope to pray for their churches. Help them to recognize when there's fakeness going on to maybe point it out or pray about it or think about it. Make sure that they're not doing it because I've been there before. I know what it's like to feel almost like an elite spiritual person. And it's bad. It was bad for me to be that way. And I thank you for helping me to get right, get on track for that. So I pray, Lord, that you move men today to start praying for their churches, start praying before the service, praying for their pastors, even if they have to go and ask their pastor if they can pray for them, but they're, you know, put their hands on their shoulder and just pray for them because there is a lot going on, especially today in our culture, Lord, a lot of broken people, and they're just looking to find you. Help us to see that, help us to be aware and help us to help those people the best that we can. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. I hope all of you have a blessed week and I'll see you next time. God bless. Thank you.